Owen Marbury was part owner of an IT service business. Now he's locking horns with his ex-partner Devin and fighting for his reputation and his freedom. But when Michaela Stanford, his former college bestie and crush, walks back into his life, he's reminded of the fire that still burns between them. As their 20-year college reunion approaches, they have a chance to rekindle their friendship and explore love once again. But Owen's battle with Devin is getting in the way of pursuing things with Michaela. With Devin breathing down their necks and threatening their lives, Owen must decide whether to give in or fight for his heart's desire. This is the premise of Secret Second Chances, a friends to lovers second chance romance available on Amazon on March 5th. Pick up your copy today. This is the Nerdy Romantics Podcast, and I'm your host, Y.M. Nelson. Today's episode is a review of the first three seasons of the HBO Max show Titans, and it's part of our DC TV and Movies mini-series here on the podcast. I'm going to be joined by Jen Graybill, who's a book coach and freelance editor working with romance authors that want to take their books and their business to the next level, but she's also a little nerdy like myself. To get all of her contact information and probably to get everybody's characters' names straight, you'll want to check out our show notes on ymnelson.com. Want to show that you're a fan and support us by doing so? Go to buymeacoffee.com backslash author ymnelson where you'll find some of our Nerdy Romantics merch. Oh, and by the way, a bit of a warning here, there will be spoilers ahead. We tried not to do it, but a few things do get spoiled. So if you want to watch the first three seasons of Titans and you don't want to be spoiled, please do that and then come back and take a listen. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, Nerdy Romantics. This episode is all about the HBO Max show Titans. And we're already starting the discussion, so follow along, peeps. We have Jen with us today. And Jen actually was the one who introduced me to this show when we started talking superheroes, because y'all know I love my Marvel and I'm in a love-hate relationship with DC, but actually this show plus some of the other shows out there is kind of making me come around. And Jen was talking about the characters. I'm going to just start off to give like a little brief overview. 
Titans is, and Jen, correct me on this because you're the one who introduced this to me. (laughs) (laughs) Titans is kind of a grown-up live action version of the animated Teen Titans and that started airing in 2003 for a few seasons. And basically it's a certain section of like the secondary characters in that DC universe where you have Justice League as a lot of the primary characters like the Batman, the Wonder Woman, those characters, Superman, and Titans is kind of the secondary characters, mainly Robin. Right. Robin, you've got Wonder Girl, you've got Superboy, you, and you've got some other characters that are made specifically just for Teen Titans. And we see those characters come alive in this show. So before we started recording, we were talking about the characters. So Jan, hopefully you've still got your train of thought there. About oh the yeah, characters. sure. Tell, tell oh, me yeah. what I have you're so thinking. many pages of notes. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I'm so giddy right now. <laughs> you know, so here's the thing. When, when I first heard about this show, I had watched Teen Titans with my kids back in the day. And it was such a great show. And I, I liked the interaction of the characters. And I was like, oh, they're going to do a live action. Okay. And I'm with you. I have a little bit of a mixed relationship with, with DC. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I've really enjoyed the DC television shows. I've enjoyed things that are in the Berlanti universe. That stuff I think has been really great. Some of the movies have been a little uneven. Yes. Not the topic for today, but that's my issue with, with DC. Whereas I've thoroughly enjoyed the Marvel, the Marvel movies and had a great time because I think that they did. One of the things that I think really set them apart was just their incorporation of humor and being mm-hmm. a little bit funnier as yes. opposed to some of the DC stuff that tends to be Dark. um, a lot darker. And, and that I think is one of the things that sets this show apart is that, is that it definitely has that darkness in it. But I guess because there's more folks that are younger, we'll call mm-hmm. it that because it's not the teen Titans. They are not teenagers. Well, Rachel falls into the teenager realm and then everybody yes. else is definitely like young, young twenties. And then I don't know. I don't think anybody in that show is 30 for sure. No. So we're, we're talking about folks that are, that are definitely young. And so there is a snark and a sarcasm that I have thoroughly enjoyed in those characters. (laughs) And I think that's one of the things that makes it just a little bit different than a lot of the other DC properties is that, is that it is able to sort of stay in that dark place, but also bring a little snark to the, to the screen. And I, I enjoy that. So what we were talking about before is just, you know, the way that the, the way that the show starts out. So and this is an ensemble show for sure. There's lots of different characters that, that eventually make it into the show. But when you start off with, with episode one, you really only meet three main characters in episode one. You meet Rachel mm-hmm. and, and you meet Dick, Dick Grayson, who we know, but eventually they actually say out loud that he used to be Robin and yeah. Corey, who is, who is Starfire. Right. But what I like about the way that they start off this, this season is in the the series and completely is that is that the first few episodes of the series everybody has a mystery 
absolutely everybody has a mystery and there's something dark in their in in the mystery so rachel is this goth kid that has locks on the outside of her room there's like this conversation with her and this person who is probably her mom and you know they seem like kind of loving and caring towards each other and then the mom walks out of the room and like turns the deadbolt and you're like what the heck is that so right I like that because you're like are we watching Carrie but no they like each other this is not Carrie <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and then Dick is this Detroit detective who sort of you know shows up and and you're like well he's not so he's not Robin anymore and he's not associated with Batman and by the end of the episode, he is like very anti-Batman. So what's up with that? And then Corey is just this woman who wakes up with amnesia and <laughs> she's in a car that is full of bullet holes and she has amnesia and she's just like, huh, I wonder what's going on in my world. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who's this chicken? What's she all yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> so she's having her own, like, you know, the hangover, like. <laughs> right. Episode. Exactly. And she's not even in America when it starts out. So I don't know how all these people are all going to end up together somehow, some way. So it's really great that they only introduce those three. As you go through the rest of the season, you get introduced to Hawk and Dove, who are, they know Dick from back in the day. We get, who else do we get in there? We get Gar. Do we get um, Gar? He's Beast Boy. Mm-hmm. We get, is that everybody for the first? Oh no. And then we get, and we also get Jason. So Jason is the, is actually Robin. So if anybody is fans of the comics, we get the Jason, we get the Jason version of Robin mm-hmm. in, in this, in the series. And he's, he's a really different sort of Robin than the one that you see in the Teen Titans cartoon, I think, because the one in the Teen Tar- Titans cartoon, he's presented kind of as a teenager. He's presented as, as a very serious person. And Dick Grayson definitely like carries that mm-hmm. off. But, but Jason is like cocky. He loves the fact that he knows how to fight people. And, yes. and he's kind of excited to like hang out with Dick for a while. Right. And then, yeah. and then Dick is, uh, Dick is clearly dealing with something and he's kind of a dick to Jason. He's a dick to everybody else. So anyway, <laughs> Dick is a dick. <laughs> dick is a dick. He is just kind of a dick. He is a very pretty man that needs therapy. <laughs> yes. Yes, y'all. He is pretty. He is pretty. Oh, he's yes. very pretty. Man, they did a good job with casting on this series. Let me tell yes. you. Yes. They have some very are, Yeah. People. There are a lot of beautiful people in this in this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know the other character that we get, duh, is uh, Donna. We get Donna. Oh, yeah. Donna. Um, Donna Troy. She is Wonder Girl. So we get that. I think she's the last one introduced and she doesn't come in for like almost half the season is right. over before we even get to meet Donna. And she's a great character, but one of the other things that they did, and they do this with a lot of the DC shows is that they had, they had a whole episode that was connected to doom patrol. So now that is a show I have not watched. So I really can't comment on that one. And those are, that's a whole group of characters that I'm really not familiar with. They've not really been featured in any of the television shows. They've not been featured in the cartoons when I was a kid. So, but that one has that show. I went and looked it up. They have three seasons that have been released and there's a mm-hmm. fourth that's going to be coming. Yes. So they're kind of running parallel with what's going on on Titans because they've yes. um, Titans is also getting a fourth season. So 
Yes. And I think I also read that Doom Patrol is going to show up again in this fourth season. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to do that, but yeah, they're going to show up again. I I was like, okay, I saw Doom Patrol. I too have not watched that. And as we all know, I respect the comic books, but I'm not a comic book reader. I believe Jan, you're in the same category. Exactly. Yes. But I knew of Doom Patrol. And I think before I started watching, of course, I binged all three seasons like in the past (laughs) couple of months. So but before I started watching, I believe Doom Patrol had a did they have a movie come out? I don't I don't think so. Or were they in another movie? Maybe they were referenced in another movie. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Interesting. But they might have been referenced in another movie. I feel like they were in... mm, Or at least a a couple of the characters, or it was kind of like a, a... cameo of characters in suicide squad did you see suicide squad i did see suicide squad yeah, I did. yeah both of them you know that's not, um, maybe you know what's interesting is that they are yeah they're just they're such a group that i really i just don't know that much about them and so it's possible that they were maybe even just referenced on the in the suicide squad movies because in in one of those and they and it just sort of escapes me yeah, sorry. Yeah, but but yeah, as as you know, as a group kind of together, they seem fun. <laughs> they seem funny. They seem weird though. It's kind of like DC loves a good out, you know, they love outcasts. <laughs> they do. Like Suicide they do. Squad is a bunch of outcasts, you know, Teen Titans. Well, you know, the Titans they're they're a little bit of an outcast. They have they have some issues. You know, and Doom Patrol, they're outcasts. It's like, yeah. come on. Yeah. They like, you know, they, they're they not sidekicks completely. Like Robin, obviously, is a sidekick. And, yeah. But there's... Not, but yeah, not all Donna of is Wonder Girl, sidekicks. so... Yeah. She yeah. kind of has her thing that's going on. Yeah. And then we've got, like I said, Jason, the other Robin. And then we have we have Hawk and Dove. So Hank and Dawn are their names. And then yes. um, their character, their vigilante names are Hawk and Dove. But that's another one that is, I don't know anything about their backstory or them in the comics or what have you. But mm, man, they right. are a great couple of characters in this series. Yeah. If you're not familiar with those two, they're together, they're dating. And one of the other things I feel like they did a really good job with in this first season is maybe episode two, definitely an early episode when Dick has saved Rachel from mm-hmm. the police station. And then she was, she was kidnapped. Like a lot happens with Rachel in the first episode. Yes. So, but Dick, he doesn't want to, she knows that there's a connection between Rachel knows that there's a connection between her and Dick because she has seen him in her dreams. And he's like, yeah, whatever kid, I don't even know. So he's going to drop her off with, with Don and, and Hank. But in the meantime, she is trying to figure out her powers and, and that kind of thing. So, but when we meet Don and Hank, it's very clear that there is bad blood between them and Dick. Right. Very bad blood has happened there. Right. And, and we don't find out exactly what that is for quite a few episodes. So exactly, these are not, 
best friends that are getting back together for, for, and reliving old times. They are people that are still in a lot of pain they have hurt each other very badly. And they are sort of begrudging because we've got this kid, Rachel is Rachel's the only character who's really, really a kid. She's clearly in like the 15, 16 year old range. Yeah. And, and they kind of will rally around her because she has power. She doesn't know what to do with. There's this like dark gunk that, that surrounds her and she doesn't know how to control it. So Dick and Dawn and a Hawk are vigilantes. So like, they're just normal people that put on costumes and fight bad guys. But Rachel has, has this magical power that, and so helping her figure out how to control it, helping her figure out, you know, why, why she's here and what this all means. It is really sort of the driving force of that first season. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned the Hank and Don and Dick kind of bad blood thing. You, you see a little bit of it in the first season. Like there's, you know, maybe some relationship stuff that went on there, but you really don't know how they really fell out, which to me, it didn't have anything to do with a relationship until season two, when they actually go to the Titans Tower in San Francisco and and Dick is trying to resurrect the whole Titans thing and you see really why they all fell out with each other. Oh, that's when we get the tea. Yes. Holy cow. Yes. It yeah, just that's blew. when we find out what happened there. It really just blew up. And and I will say I have seen maybe an episode or two of Teen Titans Go, which is not what this is necessarily compared to is Teen Titans. I have not seen Teen Titans yet. But the big bad in season two, Deathstroke, he's not just a Titans villain, right? Right, right, yeah. Okay, I've seen him in, in, in more stuff. Yeah. But he's really, for DC, well, I guess for Marvel too, but every superhero seems to have that big bad, that one villain that they fight and they just can't get rid of. And they Or they exactly. just can't defeat this particular villain you know yeah and is like he's indestructible yeah right and he, he, yeah just he's can't. that one it is just how they did that whole thing is is wild but but back to season one though you know you were talking about and you kind of mentioned to me before about expectation versus reality and where the where these characters are going Mm -hmm. and I felt the same way that you felt when watching season one you're in this you come in and these people either they don't know who they are and you're finding out with them or you don't know something and they know something and they're hiding something. And so we're right. finding it out as, as we go along and as the Titans come together. Right. And so that is really cool. They did that the best. And I agree that it, it seems to me in season one, season one is probably the season with the biggest character kind of arc and the biggest like, 
plot that arches over. There are some shows that they have this episodic thing, like Law and Order, for instance. They find a dead body in the beginning, and then by the end, we figured out the mystery, and then they do it again next week. (laughs) And so um, even though you might want to binge watch Law and Order every now and then, you can watch one episode and be done. But this one, for me, I was hooked. Once I got my bearings it's always that first episode when especially when people don't know who they are where you're like should I really be watching this is this is this is there something else on another streaming service that I can watch and so I felt that unsure kind of thing in that first episode but then by the second episode I want to know what happens to these characters I want to know where this is going. And this is one of those things in season one for me, it was bingeable. It was totally bingeable. I was like sitting there and thank goodness I have this whole weekend because I need to finish this now. You know, it was like, no, right? I had, I so there you are, go. you're in episode two and you're like, okay, we're going to like, how are we going to help Rachel? And then right. you know, how are Hawk and Dove, how are they related? And oh, there's a little bit of conflict there. And then they introduced that creepy family. And right. you're like, what the heck is happening with creepy family? Oh my family? gosh, the creepy family. I was like, what in the world? And you know what I wrote down in my notes? Season one vibe is like Fringe. You know that show Fringe? Uh-huh. Remember that show? Or that show Pushing Daisies. Remember it was, okay. they were kind of Pushing Daisies had, Daisies had kind of like a, a little bit of a weird, but we're fine, like a Stepford kind of element to it. Yeah. And, and for me, the whole fringe kind of connection was they were creepy and the creepy family was going to this. I don't know who he was like the head of it all, the head of creepy, the head of, was he the (laughs) head of Arkham? Like the boss of some sort. I never really got a good answer about exactly what his deal is. I didn't get that either, but he was like the head of it. And he was like super creepy. And it just made me think about fringe where it's like, when you watch episodes of Fringe, you know, it's definitely sci-fi, obviously. So it's right up my alley. I love some sci-fi. But <laughs> it's also like everybody's got this little creepy thing around them. It's not just, you know, sci-fi like Star Trek. We're going through drama. It's sci-fi like this is suspenseful. This is like mysterious. And these people are acting like this is all good, but it's not all good. Something really weird is going on. Yeah. That's one of the things I think that's really good about the series as a whole is that they're constantly on the move. You'll see characters that are, you know, that are not like the ensemble. And then there's these other characters. And when you see them, you can kind of make a certain amount of assumptions about them. But then like suddenly you realize they're not with everybody else. They're in a completely different city or they're in a different right. state or they're in a different country. And you're like, wait a second, how does that relate to what's happening here? And then you wait for another episode or two and you're like, right. oh, that's how this is connected. I get it now. So it really keeps you moving through the series pretty quickly. And yeah. yes, thank it goodness does. for three full complete seasons. I mean, I will tell everyone that season one ends on a cliffhanger. It does. And 
I was extremely excited to be able to just go next episode, know what happened. Yes. I need to know what happened there. Right. Um, and that's why when they start with, with season four and I'm going to want to watch, but I'm going to just have to hope because I think with HBO and I think with this one, they put it out every week, right? It's I not like they Netflix. They put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think they're doing an every week thing. You know? <laughs> I know. I know. And it's hard. It is really hard, but yeah. Um, (laughs) but but it's so bingeable but but you know what you know what though I will say about that it is bingeable and I like the fact that you have the whole complete season but I will definitely say about season three that it felt a little more episodic to me I didn't feel like I had to sit there all weekend And, and part of it was there was a lot going on in season three yeah, in season one, we have we have all this mystery about about who they are, and we're kind of meeting them. And each character has their own darkness that we need to kind of explore. And then as you get to the second half of the season, you start realizing there is a big bad, and we kind of need to go towards that big bad. And they do a really good job with with the writing and a lot more of like a psychological exploration than you normally see in superhero shows and especially in television, just some of the darkness that they put on screen. Yep. And then in season two, we've got Deathstroke. So he's like the big bad. And then there's another like sort of separate thing we haven't even talked about, about who comes in at the very end of season one. I know it's a television show and you don't usually see this, but there is, but there's an extra scene that happens at the end of season one and you find out the character that's going to join up later. So Mm -hmm. Are we spoiling that for folks? Are we telling them who it is? This is a totally spoil. We are spoiling (laughs) everything, honey. Everything. We are spoiling it. I have that that disclaimer at the beginning. Awesome. Yeah, Yeah, we are are getting Superboy. So we get Superboy and we get Crypto. And and so we know that he's joining for for season two. So we've got all of this (laughs) Deathstroke stuff that's happening. That's complicated. We've got, we've got another new character. Rose pops up and... She is not interested in being anybody's friend. God love her. So, you know, there's a lot that happens. And in season three, I felt like there's more separate storylines where Corey has her thing with her sister and then Superboy has his thing. And then Dawn and Hawk, I mean, Dawn and Hawk are a little bit more of the central that's kind of happening through because Jason is the one that is the big bad at that point. And because he has a whole thing that starts off with, with a lot of violence. That was tough to watch, but apparently, but the, the way they shot that, you know, I'm not a comic book fan either, but my husband is. And so when we were watching it, the way that Jason goes to this creepy carnival and he's found the Joker and the whole bit, my husband is like, like there are shots in there that are straight out of the comic book. Like you could put them side by side. And so for him, who's a huge comic book fan, he has read these since he was a little kid. That stuff meant a lot to him. And you see a lot more of that in season three. There's so many more callbacks, so many more times where, you know, somebody's name is mentioned or they drive past, like there's a restaurant that's mentioned. There's those kinds of things. And he was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I, (laughs) being not a comic book fan, I'm like, oh my God, please tell me what it is. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's like, you really want to know and and see that's the thing about us it's like 
even though we're not comic book fans, we we know what it means when you get those Easter eggs. We know that feeling and yeah. we want to know what that's about. And two, we have a respect for the comic books. I mean, the comic books are canon. That's what all of this is about is because some dudes started making some comic books and creating mm-hmm. these characters. And so you do, you get that feeling. And even I got that feeling for a lot of stuff in season three. Like there were a lot of Easter eggs for not just comic book readers, but also for people who've just been fans of these superheroes for like ever. But one Mm -hmm. thing I wanted to ask you, um, since we're already talking about season three and we're, we're already, and we're talking, we're talking character though. So we're still talking about, you know, characters and expectation versus reality. The one thing that got me and maybe it's because I don't understand this necessarily is that and they mention it too that Red Hood was Joker Red Hood was never Robin that I knew of and is that true did he say did your husband say anything about that no he didn't so so I think in the comic, and they, they they actually do mention it, part of it in the show, which is why the light bulb went off for me, is that, you know, in the comic book, before Joker became Joker, Joker was Red Hood, you know, because Joker got okay. in that accident where, you know, right. that's why his face is all screwed. But Joker was Red Hood first. Okay. And then he became Joker. And they say that in in one of those one of those early episodes they say that but i was wondering you know if it happened in the comic book that or if they were just doing it for the show they were just like okay so now we're going to take this red hood character from the comic book and we're going to make him robin we're going to do a little twist kind of thing and make him i do think the the twist was definitely there because that was one thing that that my husband mentioned was about that that jason like it wasn't initially jason under the hood okay. right that redhead is a common character and we talked about the the beginning of that season where we see jason go after the joker in the carnival and yep. and mm-hmm. that scene which is pretty violent shows him was violent. joker killing jason now that sets off a whole you know a whole chain of events because bruce we also get to see Bruce. Don't forget that. So Bruce comes in and Bruce is, Bruce is damaged. Bruce is, Bruce is damaged by that, by that death in a way that is very different than we would normally see him presented on, on screen. So there's, there's this connection between him and Jason that doesn't seem to have been the case with him and Dick. And maybe he learned, maybe he's grown for himself. Bruce is also a person that is a very attractive older man, also desperately in need of therapy. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they went to therapy, we wouldn't have superheroes. So, right. Exactly. Anyway, I definitely wouldn't have vigilantes. Anyway, <laughs> so when all that happens, there's a lot of misdirects that's happening throughout those first few episodes because there's a lot of assumptions that are being made and a lot of stories that are being told until you get to the point where you find out that Jason is actually alive. 
because Bruce is positive he's dead. Bruce swears that, you know, he's dead. He's, he's been buried the whole bit. And so Bruce is going out of his mind. Bruce decides to just like up and leave. Mm-hmm. Talk about somebody who's got a lot of darkness in him. If you can imagine the darkness of the normal Batman, and then you like cover that, <laughs> you right. stick that in a cave. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Bruce goes into a really bad place. And Donna is the one that saves him from himself at that point. Mm-hmm. But um, we haven't even talked about Donnie yet. Oh my gosh, we could be here all night. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to go into the different things that are happening with all these different characters. But the thing with season three is that there are, I feel like there's so many stories that they are telling that as a, as a viewer, it starts to get a little difficult to, to sort of hold the thread because things take a little bit longer. They're all sort of on their own adventures to an extent and they don't have as much time as a unit together they do eventually come back together as a unit to fight red hood to fight scarecrow in case you're curious why jason is the way he is um, why he becomes the bad guy we gotta (laughs) talk about scarecrow and i can never remember his real name not real name but his like his persona that is that is outside of the scarecrow that he's a doctor the psychiatrist i can't remember his name do you remember his name yeah jonathan crane there you go dr crane yeah So Dr. Crane is always such a great character because he is so intelligent and he is 10 steps ahead of absolutely everybody, including, including Dick, including Bruce, including just everybody. He's 10 steps ahead all the time. And Mm -hmm. that just makes him such a fantastic villain. Yeah. It's like he's 10 steps ahead, but he's 10 steps ahead and crazy So when you're watching it, you're like fascinated. I like this dude. I really shouldn't like this dude because he's mentally messed up. Yeah. I mean, the dude is in an insane asylum for goodness sake. Not just in it's kind of like it. it, it, I mean, he's Hannibal Lecter. I mean, it's that same vibe, you know? It's like, oh my God, he's so creepy. Yeah. Creepy, but but smart. It's like crazy but smart. It's like he's why? So <laughs> and and because he's crazy, you don't know where this is going. You don't. And that's what makes him such a fantastic villain is that you do not know where he is going to go with this. You don't know it, there's no logic and there's no boundaries with what his plan is and where he's gonna go. And that's what makes him such a great villain to watch. You can't take your eyes off him. You right. just can't. Exactly. You cannot. You know, the, the he had a little bit of a failing for me when he got kind of desperate in the end. Mm-hmm. And that was a yeah. little bit of failing. That was just like, okay, I'm not, you're, I'm starting to see your inside, right? It's, I'm starting to kind of crack. And part of it was the whole thing with his mom. Yeah. That's, and really he started unraveling, the, well, his he started unraveling a little bit before that, but he kind of got together because a little bit before that, his plan was kind of falling apart when they blew up the they blew up the drugs. But then they blew up the drugs, and the drugs end up going into the water system, which brings me to Easter eggs mm-hmm. <laughs> because. And yes, I'm going to go back to season one, but I, but because we're talking about it right now, to me, that whole, we're going to put crazy drugs in the water system 
wasn't that Batman Begins? That was Batman Begins. Yes. And see, this is all in season three within a matter of what, two or three episodes at the end? Exactly. They just stuffed all these Easter eggs. They stuffed them in in season three, but they definitely stuffed them all in those last two or three episodes. Oh my gosh, so much happens there. I mean, I guess that's kind of Scarecrow's thing is that he he wants to poison the water supply and make everybody like fearful and afraid. And then because they're afraid, they don't trust their neighbors. They don't, right? All of society breaks down because of this fear of your neighbors and, and everybody that's around you and your, your biggest fears coming true, which, oh gosh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is a whole other thing, but I am going to say part of that whole other thing, which I think that you're thinking, y'all mm-hmm. doesn't, this is kind of creepy as far as like being a little bit too true to the times right now. Isn't it? <laughs> I yeah. mean, I, I had some January 6th flashbacks. That's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, for sure. For sure. But it it was you watch the breakdown of society of not being able to trust your neighbors and you know these different factions popping up and all of this, you know, God love them, it all happens in Gotham. But (laughs) right, right. Which another Easter egg when they closed off Gotham, wasn't that the dark night, y'all? When the Joker closed when they closed off Gotham. Mm -hmm. They (laughs) yep. And nobody could get in or out. And then they had those prisoners on the, you know, on one ship and Mm -hmm. regular people on another, well, ferry and regular people on another. And they were like, who's going to blow up? Oh my gosh. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just, this is so crazy. I know. So they take those stories, which, you know, in those comics and in those movies are all Batman focused. Yes. I don't think Robin's even in any of those any of those movies no, right robin is not so in they take any of those, those same those same elements and they put them into the show with the teen titans and that was kind of one of the things that that bothered me about season three because i felt like like i said I'm, I'm not a comic book reader so that part wasn't terribly concerning to me that oh well this is batman's you know villain or this is this doesn't go these don't go together that stuff doesn't bother me so much but i would the first two seasons of the show i felt like were so they were so unique. They were stories that I really hadn't seen before. Deathstroke is a character that comes back. He he fights lots of different heroes, but it, I haven't seen him portrayed on in some of the other DC shows. I haven't seen him in the movies, right. that kind of thing. Right. Where then this third season, this whole thing with Scarecrow that's going on, it just it does. It feels like it came it it's a repeat of what happens in the movies. And that really bothered me. Now there's a lot of stuff. There's, this is kind of like one element, like one of the threads that's happening throughout the season. Like I said, there's lots of different stories that are happening. So we've got what's going on with Corey is totally separate from this. And then we've kind of a whole arc that happens with Dawn and, and Hank that's going on. We've got, and the fact that Jason has turned into this evil guy and is trying to, and is trying to destroy the Titans and turn them against each other in a way that is, and then, and Donna. Right. And Donna is, is, you know, I mean, I was, see, I'm not even actually sure. What Mm -hmm. did Donna really, is she dead? I mean, they put her in a coffin, Mm -hmm. but then they said she's going to come back from the other side. So my thing is she's dead, but she's not dead. I mean, you saw her, 
Was that at the end of season two where she kind of collapsed on the yeah. thing? So at the, the end of season okay. two, she they're 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 having the big fight and then it's like that part's over and then the electrical tower. Yeah. There's lots of sparks. Something. Yeah. So some sort of like electrical tower of some sort comes and and lands on her and mm. she's electrocuted and crushed. So oh, we didn't even talk about how Rachel can heal people. That's a whole thing. Right. And so, so yeah, I was kind of curious about this. I wonder if for a part of this wasn't a part of this shot during the pandemic that season. Probably. I mean, that's what we've been doing the last couple of years. So I'm so sure they had to had to figure something out there. So yeah, I'm thinking that I'm thinking that part of the reason why these stories are separated, why the gang well, we know why the gang broke up story-wise because of the mm-hmm. whole at the end of season two or whatever. But I think part of the reason why they just made sure to keep them separate and maybe Donna's coming back, but maybe we don't talk about Donna is that people wanted to be separated during the pandemic. I think that was part of the reason why the story is as fragmented as it is in season three is because of the pandemic. I'm just going to chalk up every bad thing to the pandemic. (laughs) Great philosophy. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. I would agree. I would agree. I do think that they decided to tell stories in a different way because they'd already told the, the coming together story. They'd already sort of gone into everybody's history. And one of the right. things I think that they had to deal with by the end of season two, I think they knew that they weren't going to have the actress that plays Donna. They weren't going to have her around. She does come back, but I'm not sure what her story is on a personal level, but maybe she had Maybe she had some commitments. Um, right. See, that's, that was the other the thing. Yeah. That was the other thing I was thinking. I think the, I think part of the reason why she's whatever, uh, or why Donna and Raven went off to was because of their, I think at least Donna's commitment. I don't know what's going on as, as far as like, you know, personal or actress wise, what's going on yeah. with her. But I think it also, that that had something to play in it, uh, a part to play in it. And mm-hmm. I think I think the same thing maybe with the actress who plays Raven as well. I don't know. Yeah. I, as y'all know, um, sometimes I read up on this stuff and sometimes I go down the rabbit hole a little too much when I read up on wanting everybody to do everything. And I did not do this with this one because I just wanted to enjoy the show. So that's why I don't know exactly what happened with all of the characters. But I think part of it is, at least with them, maybe a personal thing. Because it's just weird the way that all went. And two, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, she's a half god, right? Yeah. So that would not necessarily kill her right so that's why I was at the end of that I was like well why is she why are they putting her in a coffin because that yeah and they're not gonna necessarily kill yeah so she's taken by we find out that she has that she has the mascara connections in that she stays in contact with that yeah she's working with and so 
so we find that out in one of the episodes. And so when she's, you know, only mostly dead, she is, she's picked up by them and taken back to Themyscira and, you know, everybody says goodbye. And from a story perspective, I think it does make a lot of sense that Rachel goes with her. Yes. Because if you think about it again, Rachel has, Rachel has powers that she's still learning to control. And she definitely like gets a better handle on them over the course of the the couple seasons, but she definitely doesn't have full control over them. And that's not something that Dick and Don and Hank can help her with. They really can't. And so from a story perspective, it does kind of make sense that she needs some kind of guidance. She needs to be in a place where she can explore her powers safely and, and not kill anybody. Cause she did kind of accidentally kill somebody. Don't forget. Yes. <laughs> those powers. And she doesn't That's even right. realize she did it, but her dark, her dark side definitely knew what it was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so that gives them a little bit, because again, there's a lot of characters in this. There's a lot of stuff that happens and that gave them the ability to really kind of explore that dynamic between Jason and Dick. And they needed to do something. One thing that I do know for sure about the, the private lives of the actors is that, is that the guy who plays Hank, Alan, Alan Richmond, I think is his name. I could have that wrong, but the guy that plays Hank needed to leave the show. So they had to figure out some way to write him out of the show. And that is because if you need something else to binge watch, he plays Reacher on does. Um, in an Amazon show. Yes, Amazon yes. Prime show. He plays Reacher. And you know, that and, is a fantastic yeah. show. It's only one season. Yeah. So everybody go binge it so we can get more seasons of that because that was amazing. But he's really, really good in that. And I thought that he was really, really good in this show because man, they he take was. Hank has quite the story to tell. Holy cow. They yes. really go into his very dark childhood. There's a lot that happens there. And and the way that he and Dawn actually meet and and why they know each other because she is kind of this rich girl ballerina and he's just Mm -hmm. he's like this football player kind of not a meathead he's he's definitely like a a a thoughtful kind guy but yeah they meet in in they meet on the street and yeah on the street yeah right on the street they make sure really horrible tragic um right few seconds and then yeah. And then they come together because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's good. And stuff. That's what they really get. Yeah. And and see, that's the thing. That is the thing about season one and season two that makes them so bingeable. And that's why season three to me and to you as well, I guess, Jan kind of falls apart is because we get these character arcs that go throughout the season And we get to see these in-depth things. We're peeling back these layers that make us love these characters even more. If it were just about the fighting, the action, let's beat the bad guy, it wouldn't have that bingeable quality to me. You know? Exactly. Yep, exactly. This is a, you got to see what happens next. The episodes don't feel like there's closure. There's never closure at the end of the episode. And so it definitely makes you want to hit that next episode button immediately. 
And then too, with uh, with season two, because we're getting deeper into, for instance, the Hawk and Dawn, and we're getting deeper into the rift of why they aren't <clears throat> the Titans anymore and why Dick is just some detective. And when we start to see that backstory and the way it develops, it, it's so cool. It, it's amazing to watch that. And for me as a writer, it's like watching a Shonda Rhimes show, like a procedural kind of show. Yeah. You know, a scandal or I've just finished watching Inventing Anna. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Right. So I did. it's kind of like how she does that whole peeling back of the she gives you a layer. She does it in like one sentence. A character can say one line and you're what is that all about? And then mm-hmm. she peels back a layer. And that is what happens here with the backstory. We're not getting this whole sob story all at once. Otherwise, we would just die. But it's kind of peeling back the layer as they do something in the present. So mm-hmm. as they're doing something in the present, it's triggering something from the past. And that is how we learn about these characters especially with the Hank and Dawn characters that's how we're learning each episode is like once they do something in the present then it's kind of hearkening back to the past and we see the story come together and that is bingeable television y'all that is it you know yeah it's great and and yeah losing that would kind of lose the essence of this show a little bit, which is why I think for me, season three, the reality of season three. So this Mm -hmm. is a a long involved way to come back to expectation versus reality. (laughs) The, The reality of season three is that it didn't necessarily live up to season one. Now, obviously nothing is really gonna live up to a season one when you have a buildup like they do. Right. You know, because you're really getting this stuff for the first time, unless you're a comic book nerd, which some of this you probably already knew was going to happen or or maybe it didn't. Maybe it didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because, you know, I happen to watch some of the credits and stuff, too. But in season one, they tell you in the credits, Robin character created by Bob Keane and the other people that created Robin. Yeah. But then... At the end of season three, they'll, they say, you know, characters from DC, right? Oh, interesting. So it's, right. So it's like, okay. But also in season three, we had a lot of characters that were in the comic books. Whereas, <laughs> you know, the Robin character in season one, we know the Robin character was in the comic books. Was Hank and Dawn in, char- in, in the comics? Well, I didn't read the comics, so I'm not sure if they yeah. were in the comics or not, so, but they were not right. in we the don't, cartoon. Yeah. They, yeah, they were not in the cartoon. And Starfire and Blackfire and Raven, they were just on the cartoons. I'm pretty sure they weren't in the comics. You we know? haven't even talked about Blackfire. Right, exactly. So Corey is Starfire, and she's the she's the character that we meet in that first episode. And then we find out that she's from another planet, and there's all that, well... Blackfire is her sister that shows up and then she plays a role in season three. So there's a whole, so they've got that whole storyline. That's what I mean. There's so much going on. So much that's happening. So many different threads to try and follow. And they, 
I agree with you that those first two seasons when they're telling the the present day story as you go forward and then and then they jump backwards and they tell a backstory element and it, it just fits so nicely with what's happening in the present day. And that is really, that is a very difficult thing to do from a writing perspective. Yes, it is. And to continue that through multiple episodes to be able to use that. They did really well too in in the Arrow television show. They were really consistent with being able to tell a lot of this backstory alongside the present day story and make it really fit very tightly. Yeah. And I feel like in season one and two, they were able to, to continue to, that, to continue that, to do exactly. that. And exactly. in season three, it kind of fell apart because we didn't have as much backstory to learn about folks. Now right. we haven't mentioned the fact that we get Barbara Gordon, who is an amazing character. Right. And um, see, the thing about it is, I mean, her whole her whole backstory and their whole backstory is contained within maybe two or three episodes. And I feel exactly. like I don't know her, but I feel like I'm supposed to know her because she's Barbara Gordon. Hello. Exactly. I mean, exactly. We don't. And, and because everybody else in this, in this show that we thought that we knew sort of subverts expectations about what you think, you know, about, about yeah. Dick Grayson, what you think, you know, about Robin, and some of those other characters. So when you meet Barbara Gordon, even though I understand who she is, you know, she's the daughter of this guy. She is the um, police commissioner for Gotham. I get that. Mm-hmm. But because we don't really know her and they do all that backstory. Yeah. And just a couple episodes, as opposed to like giving you that, that drip, drip, drip all along the way. Yeah. And, and so you don't, you, because it sort of all comes at once and it doesn't come for a few episodes in, then you lose that, that ability to get to know her a little bit at a time and be intrigued by her. Right. Because exactly. the first few episodes, she's really almost more of just like, like a filler character where she, she plays that role of, Hey, commissioner, what do you know about this crime? Yeah. And she provides him, I shouldn't be telling you this, but you know, we have history. So I'm going to tell you this piece of information. So she kind of fills right. that role for the first few episodes. And it's a little disappointing if you're going to add a character like Barbara Gordon. Yes. And, and put her in a wheelchair. I'll point out that too. Exactly. She lives alone, living alone in Gotham in a wheelchair and is the police commissioner. The fact that she is still alive at the end of any of these episodes is amazing. So it makes it feel the first few episodes that you meet her, that she's just not very interesting. And then you start finding out about, about the back history. So the episodes that do tell her backstory, you're like, oh, okay. So I see who she is and, and you know, her rebellious streak that she had and the mm-hmm. talent that she has and why she deserves to be the uh, police commissioner. And I will say that there is a scene where somebody comes for Barbara Gordon and wheelchair or not, that lady is a bad ass. So do not yes. come to Barbara Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, oh, but, but you know, but in that, to get to see that side of her. You do, so. you do, you do. But I think we're talking about the, the same episode. Is that the episode where V tells us who she is? Is what that the same us? episode? Is it? V. Is, oh my God. This v, is the thing. The, like, so many things happen. So, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> So is that Wait, so no, we don't I find should... out about V until the very, very last episode. Okay, okay. So that's not the episode I'm thinking about. But yeah, yeah, for me with Barbara Gordon, there's that one episode where she's in the elevator. They've actually arrested her or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And they, I think Scarecrow's plan is starting to break up. But for some reason, they take her out of jail and she goes in the elevator. And, you know, <laughs> she goes in the elevator with these dudes, these police guys that are supposed to be guard the prisoner kind of thing. And then when the elevator drops, she's, all those guys are down. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's done. But one, one thing I want to say before I get off track about that is I feel the same way about, about how they presented her. She felt like an Easter egg to me. It felt like, okay, you got Barbara Gore, you got Batgirl here. Because you you have Scarecrow, you have the Joker in the beginning of this, and you've got the whole, the mobster gang of Gotham, you know, all those guys, you know, so you have a lot of the same scenes that we've seen in a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so for her she almost felt like an Easter egg, but that exactly got her there. But at the same time, because she's in this wheelchair and because she's got one leg and it's like, what is actually going on here? You want that backstory. You want whatever you got in season two, where you peel the onion back from these characters. You want to know what happened because this is not the Batgirl that we know, right? Right. You know, so you want to know what happened there, but you don't get enough of that. And yeah, yeah. and and that's where that's where I kind of think things fell apart in season three. I think what they did was instead of giving us, you know, more of that in-depth kind of character thing, what they did was they just put a lot of this is what we know for right. the superhero fans, for the comic book nerds. Let's just put a bunch of Easter eggs together that we know. The thing that I was saying about V, so they're going down the elevator and V tells Batgirl who, who she's with. She's right. like, I'm with Argus. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's with Argus. So, mm-hmm. so you get that whole... Oh my gosh, the the universes are coming together. So a part of you is like giddy because you get all these little Easter eggs and all these things that you know. But at the same time, I miss that. Let's get to know somebody new in this DC multiverse. Yeah, because they brought Argus in and they also brought in the Lazarus pet. Right. And Ra's al Ghul in the Lazarus pit. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so then, uh, we've we seen get... Ra's al Ghul in mm-hmm. the Batman movies and he's a big bad. He, and then sometimes she has been a, a big bad yep. pretty continuously in the Arrowverse. And you're like, okay, so we've done this. That's the thing with season three is that there's all these things that happened in movies. There's all these things that already happened in Arrow. There's, you know, Argus is, Argus plays a role in Arrow, the TV show as well. And you're like, huh, hmm. I have high hopes though for season four. I will say I do have high hopes for season four. I do because like I said before, I think part of it is due to the pandemic. And then, yeah, you did remind me about Reacher and I'm like, yeah, that's why Hank was killed off of the show Mm because of Reacher. And it's funny because he was killed off, but we still, we see him again. (laughs) He gets one more episode. 
Oh, yeah. In the yeah, there's always a backstory, right? You can always bring yeah. people back as backstories. So uh, yeah, ex- especially in a, a superhero universe, you can always bring somebody back. Yeah. I mean, it's really great. But I know that we've talked this a little bit to exhaustion while we try not to spoil, even though we did spoil a lot of stuff. I want to know what you're thinking as far as a superhero nerd. I I recommend it. I'm giving it five stars. I'm giving it one star. I'm going to watch it again. I recommend people binge it. What what are your thoughts on the show? I definitely recommend people binge it, clearly, because I made you watch it. (laughs) Yeah, you did. (laughs) I'm going to give it four stars because, because uh, look, we can pick apart season three, but there's a lot of great stuff that happens in season three too. Just from a writing perspective, I did feel like season one and season two were much stronger in their ability to capture. And season three, for a lot of shows, season three can be a really difficult one, right? Because you've got that just the dynamic is changing within the, within the writer's room, the dynamic of the characters is changing and you're trying to keep telling certain stories. And then I do know that they had, that certainly season three must've had the pandemic sort of like overshadowing a lot of the stuff that they were trying to do. So, yeah. And let's face it. We all have struggled to like concentrate in, in, in during yes, the pandemic. So exactly. I, I but this is a, this is a show that has a lot of, I'm just going to say it. It has a lot of money behind it. HBO mm-hmm. has money and they are spending it here because this is a show that has a lot of different locations. I mentioned before that they always seem to be on the move. They're always going somewhere and they shoot in a lot of different places, but they make it look really good. So the sets look good. The costumes are amazing. Everybody looks looks great. The acting in this, in this show is top notch. Yeah. Those folks are giving us their entire heart and their whole soul and the special effects. Again, we have magic in um, Corey. We have magic with Rachel. We have the superpowers, the, the Superman superpowers with Connor. We have, we have Gar who is beast boy that can change into a tiger and that, that whole thing on top of, and all of that, like magic and superpowers looks amazing like movie quality it does it does and then you've got the stunts and let me tell you those stunts a plus plus on stunts right fight scenes the people like dropping from the sky people like everything those those chase scenes the the fight scenes everything is absolutely top notch and so and so yeah you season three we get a little bit of an issue with the story but there's so much story that they're trying to tell and that yeah. my hope is that is that after season three that they can kind of regroup and come back and bring us back to that like excellent storytelling that we saw in seasons one and two. Right. So that's my hope for season four. I am one thousand percent going to watch it. All right, mm-hmm. all right. We got we got a must watch and a four star. I think I'm going to say four star too. I'm going to say some different stuff though. I definitely love the storytelling of season one, season two. I want to. I want to get back to that, but part of me did like a lot of those Easter eggs because it did make me a little bit giddy for the Easter eggs in season three. And because I was giddy for that, I kept watching. And I think if it weren't for that, 
the fact that they went to Victor Freeze's plays. They even mentioned Selena Kyle a couple of times. If it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have kept watching. To me, this is the breakup season. You know, you're totally right about that season three. The season one is where we first meet, where we first getting these characters together. And either you fall in love with those characters or you don't. And the season two is when they, if they have a good story and they're doing good writing, which they are here, is when they get really deep into these characters. We've fallen in love with them. Now we want to unfold a couple of things. Yeah. If there's a relationship in a show, it's also kind of that show where they, they, that relationship is where they, they fall in love and then by the end they break up. And so season three is like trying to get back to together. And I kind of felt that mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit yeah. because to a certain extent, that's what happened. So they tried to get the gang back together with the new quote unquote teen Titans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the older Titans tried to get back together and help the teen Titans out. And it didn't work out. So they ended up all breaking up. And then the season three is like them trying to get things back together, but it's kind of a fractured trying to get them back together kind of thing. But I'm definitely giving it four stars. I do have high hopes for season four because the pandemic is becoming manageable at this point. And I think a lot of shows are getting back to regular filming again and they've got some of their other stuff ironed out but we'll give this caveat for those who are watching and this is my little different thing I'm not a horror show person right I I like sci-fi I can do a little bit of gross I I can do an r-rated violence to a certain extent but there were some scenes in some episodes that were a little bit much for me. And so I've got a four star with an asterisk. Mm -hmm. If you are okay, I mean, obviously this is HBO. So I'm going in it knowing that it's HBO. So it's not going to be the CW DC TV Arrowverse. It's not going to be that. Even though they do some crazy stuff on Arrowverse, you're not going to see somebody get shot through the eye. But season two is full of that. And it's also HBO. So it's not just we're going to get shot through the eye. It's we're going to see them get shot through the eye. Or we're going to see people burn up to a crisp. So there is that element of violence there. Just because it's superhero, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you're getting Marvel PG-13 or even DC PG-13. You're not getting that. You're getting R-rated HBO violence level. So there's that caveat. And that for me was what made it a little bit hard to watch some episodes for me because the violence level or the gore factor not necessarily the violence level, but the gore factor is a little bit much for me. I'm with you there. Yeah. So that's just a, a note for people who want to go and binge watch. This is not a family show to me, unless your family is all old enough to handle this. This, yeah. is, not, this is not get around the, the tube and watch it with the kids, yeah. in my this opinion. Is not, I mean, you know, this is... If you have kids in the 10-year-old range, 
who have seen a lot of the other superhero stuff, maybe watched Flash or yeah. Arrow or League of Tomorrow, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Just preview this show before you introduce it to them because right. there's, again, this is HBO. So there's the gore and the violence is, is at a different level. There's also nudity. And, oh yes. In there a way that nudity. we don't see on, yeah. on the CW. So right. um, there's not a ton, like it's not, this is not a Game of Thrones type of show, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not Game of Thrones, but. <laughs> but there's yeah. a little bit of yeah. it. So maybe preview it before watching it with uh, younger superhero fans. Right. So. Exactly. And um, the other thing too, actually, probably more so, like I said, the nudity is, is very, very minimal. I think it's only in two, maybe three episodes out of all three seasons, but yeah. the psychological darkness, that's pretty consistent. And that yeah, is that's actually, a very yes. different thing to watch in this show versus there's definitely some bad things happen in flash, bad things happen in arrow. Mm-hmm. People are dealing with grief and loss and PTSD, but it it's not this type of like psychological insight into into your very very dark side right of and who are you if you are only dark so there's a a fair amount of that so just be cautious yeah and 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 to add to that yes especially about trigger warnings for the psychological trauma but also for things like abuse and child abuse and just in general psychological not good stuff but definitely trigger warning for abuse there when you see young hank when you see young hank just know that that is a very serious child abuse um, situation and so that's that one there you don't see anything on screen but if you know you know so right exactly exactly but before we leave our wonderful discussion we gotta talk about crypto (laughs) y'all Don't you want a dog like crypto? Oh my God. I want a dog like crypto. Oh, <laughs> a great pup. I swear. I do have a little dog and, and he's lovely. He's tiny and he's usually on my lap, but he definitely cannot go and fetch me a person to help me out. So no, right. And he, you know, and he can't laser your enemies. <laughs> Don't you want a dog that can laser your enemies and then you can get on his back and fly? (laughs) Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yes. Yes, he flew. Fly you around. And so, you know, you're waiting for Superboy to fly, but I think Crypto flies first. Yes. (laughs) I think, yes. Because I think that's how they get out. Yes, that's how they get out. When they escape, when they escape, then yeah, Crypto (laughs) definitely flies. Oh, and then when they're in the farmhouse and that, I don't know, it's not a SWAT team, but a whole bunch of guys in in tactical gear show up and they're, oh, yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's just so great. Crypto's amazing. Crypto's amazing. Yeah. The best dog ever. I'm like, whoever actually had to train that dog on set. I mean, obviously some of this is this CGI, but that dog was even in the scenes where he's not doing superhero things, the scenes where he's like just interacting with the characters. It's almost like he is talking to an intelligible level, not like what we think our dogs are understanding. He understands. He actually understands. He responds. Yeah. And it is He so actually understands cool your conversations. Yes, exactly. It is so and cool to see. 
Okay. And especially though, when Connor is at one point is like in bed and he has a lot of recovery that has to happen and crypto like climbs up in the bed with him. Oh, come on. Yeah. I mean, come on. I know. It's just so great. Oh gosh. That's a must. Creators of Titans. It is a must that you make sure crypto gets some good scenes in season four. You know, please give us more crypto. We need it. (laughs) We definitely need it. Oh, gosh. But anyway, Jen, thank you so much for hanging out with me. We've been talking for so long about this show, but it's just so much (laughs) stuff there. We could keep talking, y'all, for a couple more hours at least about this show. Absolutely. And still not exhausted. So definitely watch it. Definitely remember any of the warnings that we've given you. But, you know it's just a good one and I can't wait for season four so thanks so much Jen oh thank you so much for having me this is so much fun I just love nerding out with you so that's it for this episode please subscribe to nerdy romantics podcast wherever you get your podcast to be notified anytime a new episode drops and if you like what you're hearing please rate and review. The links are in my show notes at ymnelson.com, along with a lot of other links for books and other items that we talked about on our show. And if you really like what you're hearing, click the buy me a coffee button while you're there to support us. Thank you for listening. Star date, not too distant future. Brandon is a diehard Trekkie. He's watched every Star Trek franchise episode multiple times. He has several cosplay and collectible uniforms in his closet. Commander Will Riker is his favorite cosplay character, and he's been to dozens of conventions. But he's never met or gotten in a fight with another Trekkie like Phoenix. Phoenix is looking forward to her first Star Trek convention until she meets Brandon. He's nothing like the Riker character she loves to hate. He's combative, socially awkward, and off-putting. But he's so adorable. Phoenix and Brandon keep running into each other, each time more heated than the next. With three days of convention to get through, will they get past the hostility and find what they know is there? Attraction and perhaps love? This is the premise of Stardate, a free e-story for my newsletter subscribers, available on February 1st. If you like Trekkie romance, romantic comedy, or just like to see a little grumpy sunshine trope, this story is for you. Go to ymnelson.com backslash subscribe and get your free copy.